You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. My name is Foster, and I will be reading from Matthew 12, verses 43 through 45. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, let's pray as we get into this. God, as we come to this text, I'm sure for all of us felt very heavy and kind of intense. Um, we acknowledge not only that reality, but the reality that part of why it feels that way is because we are in a spiritual war. And so we pray that as we look at this text, that God, you would not only illuminate it for us and help us to understand it and accept it, but God, we pray that you would make your dwelling in us, that that we would find, Holy Spirit, you present with us in our souls. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen may sound like a strange place to start, but how many of you like Bob Dylan's music? Okay, notice about half the room, okay? I find that people either love or hate Bob Dylan, right? Because he has such a weird voice, doesn't he? Amen? Uh, but we all can recognize he's a very gifted songwriter. And what you may not know about Bob Dylan is that he had a stint kind of in the late 70s, early 80s, where he was a born-again Christian. And I don't know what the status of his faith is now, but during that season, he actually wrote a ton of songs about Jesus. And one of them sort of speaks to the issues beneath Jesus' words that we're looking at in our text today. If you might have heard this song called Serve Somebody. And I want to just give you a feel for, it's a really long song, we're not going to read all the lyrics, but to give you a feel for what this song was like and what it was about, and I'm going to give you my best Bob Dylan impersonation while I go about it. So. Uh, you may be a construction worker working on a home, might be living in a mansion, you might be living in a dome, you may own guns and you may even own tanks, you may be somebody's landlord, you may even own banks, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Serve some, yeah, somebody knows this song. Serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Here's the key line. Well, it may be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Now, 
I, yeah, thank you, thank you. Been working on that one for a while, no. Um, why am I telling, we'll, we'll just skip the other one, I don't think we need both slides. Um, why, why am I sharing this song with you? What does this have to do with Matthew 12? All this stuff that Jesus is talking about, about evil spirits dwelling in a person, they're, I'm going to refer to these spirits as spiritual squatters, okay? That's how we're going to talk about them in this message. All of this is ultimately about who you belong to. Do you belong to Jesus or do you belong to the evil one? Now, you might remember if you were with us a number of weeks ago when Pastor David preached in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he shared with us this verse where Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And what's interesting is that Luke's gospel places these exact words right there in the context of what we're looking at today. He, he, the, the text that we're looking at today, Luke actually pairs directly with this statement because Luke wants us not to get so hung up on the spiritual squatters that we're going to be investigating that we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is challenging us to consider who are you going to serve, in Bob Dylan's words. You're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord. Who are you going to serve? Or in other words... What spirit or spirits are you inviting to make their home in you? The spirit of God or evil spirits? And before we go any further here, I have to stop and just acknowledge that this is a strange passage. This is a strange passage in general. There aren't a lot of passages that are as strange as this in the scripture, but also this is strange because whenever the Bible talks about evil spirits, it gets a little bit odd for us. I think we can own that. We can acknowledge that because we live in a world that doesn't believe in the supernatural. We live in a world where we're taught to believe that if we can't measure it with science, then it doesn't exist, right? And yet, we can all, I think, acknowledge that that attitude, that belief, betrays our human experience. There are plenty of things that cannot be measured or explained with science. Plenty of things that we experience. Today, and certainly all throughout history, most cultures have believed that we live in a supernatural world. And the Bible seems to describe this as a natural world and a supernatural world that both kind of exist in these spheres or dimensions that, that while they do exist on their own, overlap constantly. Think of like a Venn diagram of supernatural and natural crossing over. And I think in the modern era, it's especially helpful for us to understand it this way. Or another analogy for it would be that the supernatural exists beneath the surface of the natural world. And so we've got to have spiritual discernment in order to recognize the battle between good and evil that's going on all around us all the time. But more than that, I think this passage is also difficult for us to grasp because Jesus is essentially speaking in a parable. We're going to get into parables 
in depth in just a few weeks. But here, all I want to share with you is that he's not trying to describe a literal normative scenario when he's talking about this. Rather, he's painting a picture for us. He's, he's lifting the curtain for us, if you will, so that we can understand the realities that we can't see, but that are going on behind the scenes. And he's doing so in order to expose the difference between genuine and false devotion to him. See, this passage, it's not so much about the spirits as it is about the house. And here he's teaching us that when it comes to making a spiritual home for God, no one is neutral. You are not neutral. I am not neutral. We are either for or we are against him. We are either for Jesus, as he said, or against him. And there is no deliverance from evil apart from him. And so let's dig into this text and see what Jesus teaches us about evil spirits. We're going to look at this through a few questions today. This is going to be our primary question. What does Jesus teach us about evil spirits? And the first thing that he teaches us we see in verse 43 he said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Unclean spirit is another way of describing an evil spirit or a demon. And it says here, Jesus says that this spirit that we're looking at has gone out of a person, meaning that it's possible for an evil spirit to enter a person. But it's also possible for it to be cast out. And in the case of this parable, we're going to see that the spirit was probably cast out due to the host's behavior change or change of, of their lifestyle. And what we'll see in a moment is that the problem was that once that person changed their behavior, they thought they were good. They're like, I'm, I'm square now. But they were not the neutral ground that they suspected that they were. Because we as humans, we live in this war zone, and Jesus is trying to get us to see that there is no neutral ground. There's no Switzerland, right? We're either a home for his spirit or a home for evil spirits. More on that in just a moment. But first, I want to explain the phrase, passes through waterless places. Kind of an interesting word picture. Passes through waterless places. What is this about? A waterless place is a desert wasteland. And at the time of Jesus, no one could survive there. It wasn't like, you know, today where we build Vegas or Los Angeles and we just pipe in all the water from the Colorado River until that dries up sometime in the future, right? It, it wasn't like that. A waterless place was a place where no person was. And this evil spirit has been sent there and, and now it's seeking a host, but there aren't any people around, and so it's roaming, seeking rest, Jesus says, seeking a home, but it finds no rest, and so what does it do? Here's the second thing Jesus teaches us about evil spirits. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. Notice how this spirit refers to its host. I will return to my house. This is part of why when Christians talk about demons, they often use the word 
possession. The person, in a sense, belongs to that evil spirit, or they're, in a way, owned by that evil spirit, or controlled might be a better way to talk about it. And yet there is some disagreement among theologians around whether people can be truly possessed by an evil spirit. I guess for me, I'll give you my opinion, and my opinion really depends on what you mean by possession. I think in one sense, people definitely can be possessed. We can, just like we can be given over to addiction or given over to habitual sin or some other sort of evil and feel like we are just helplessly controlled by that thing. I think in that sense, We can be possessed, and I think we've probably all experienced that in some way in our life. But the Bible teaches us that in Jesus, here's the good news, guys, listen up. In Jesus, we are freed from being mastered by anyone or anything other than the Spirit of God. Can I get an amen to that? That's the good news today. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, the Apostle Paul tells us, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? In other words, you meet with God in your own body. You don't need to go to a temple to worship him. God has made his home in you. uh, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own You do not belong to yourself, you belong to God. For you were bought with a price. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, Christian. And now you belong to him. And so Paul tells us here, glorify God in your body. See, once Jesus has freed us from being bound to anything or anyone other than his spirit, our journey of discipleship is to now grow more and more and more controlled by him and not anything else. But we are still in the driver's seat. I think that's important to point out. You guys might know that song, Jesus Take the Wheel, right? Now, I understand the sentiment of the song, but it's not true. That, that's not how this works. We're not, you know, if you, we're not Jesus zombies being completely and utterly controlled by him. Instead, God gives human beings agency and responsibility over our own body and our own soul. And so now as Christians, we have the joy of being led in life by the Spirit of God. We have the joy of his presence with us day in and day out. And so day by day, minute by minute, moment by moment, each choice that we have is one that we get to surrender ourselves to him, where we get to say that prayer that Nick said earlier in the service, your kingdom come, your will be done. We want to be the place where he resides. But you see, that's assuming that we have invited his spirit in. It's assuming that that we have made our soul his spiritual home, whereas the person in this parable is not devoted to the spirit of God. They may have changed the furniture around, if you will, but spiritually speaking, they are still vacant, which leads us to the next thing that Jesus teaches us about evil spirits. When it comes, 
it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. This is a person who has done a lot of things right. This is a person who has cleaned up their act. And at first glance, things appear to be well and good with this person. The house of their soul, though, it's empty, it's swept, and put in order. Or rather, I should say, those are the reasons why it appears as though their soul is in good order. But they have not welcomed a new tenant. That's the problem. They may have shown signs of devotion. They may have shown signs of repentance, but they haven't completed the process. I had a counselor friend who used to always say, it's not about saying no to sin, it's about saying yes to God. Saying no to sin or changing your wrong behavior is good, but it's not enough. I was talking with someone this week whose family member was an alcoholic for decades until they finally went through AA and afterward they stopped drinking alcohol, praise God, but they replaced that more destructive addiction for other addictions, other ones that they could say were okay, right? And though that this person has made a profession of faith, it doesn't seem as though this family member has invited Jesus to be the Lord of their whole life. Now, I'm not here to judge whether or not their faith is genuine or whether or not they have an evil spirit inhabiting them. That's not the reason why I'm bringing it up. The point is, I think it's a good illustration of what Jesus is warning us against here. This kind of half-hearted repentance when wholehearted devotion to him is the only way that he will make his home in you. And so the thing that's so alarming about this parable is that the person who thought that the house of their soul was clean In other words, they were doing what was right, but without God in their life. This person is the very person who has unwittingly prepared themselves as a home for evil spirits. And so these spirits are chomping at the bit. They're ready to move in, which leads us to the next thing that Jesus teaches us about evil spirits. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Years ago, I I used to manage a rental house down in White Center, and uh, it had been vacant for an extended period of time, and we were starting to get desperate. We were like, we're going to have to sell this house if we can't get somebody in there, but it was also during... Um, the, the Great Recession, and so it was going to be pretty challenging to sell it. Finally, we found a family, and they applied, and I ran their credit, and it came back, and it was terrible. It was just so bad. I should not have let them move in. Uh, but I reached out to them to ask about it, and they, they assured me that their credit score was so low because they had had someone steal their identity, and this was really not them, and and this wasn't their fault, and all of this, and I don't even really think I believed them, (laughs) but this just shows you how desperate I was, and, and against my better judgment, I let them move in, 
and it was a total disaster. Almost from day one, within a, I don't remember, maybe a couple of weeks, I get a call from them and they're like, this house is infested with ants. I'm like, never had ants in that house before. What are you talking about? So I go down there and I look around and there's just trash everywhere. They have, you know, half empty big gulps, right? Crawling with ants, of course. Like, what else are those ants going to do? There's like a big pile of sugar there for them. And, uh... And after a while, after that first month, actually, they didn't pay any rent. So now I'm beginning this eviction process, which I don't know what it's like today, but at that point, there were, it was a mess to try and get someone evicted in Seattle. And this went on for a couple more months. And during that period of time, they just destroyed the house. They destroyed it. But eventually, from all the pressure, maybe they were afraid they were going to finally get evicted, they, they disappeared. They, they left the place, and they left it covered in trash and unwanted furniture. And to make matters even worse, went into the kitchen, they left a witchcraft curse, like a spell that they cast on the house, written out there with this big kind of altar that they had created. It was crazy. Pure evil. Pure evil. And the reason I'm telling you that story is is it's a little bit what it's like to have squatters. And I think maybe some of you today can acknowledge that you feel that way, but maybe on a spiritual level. Feel like you have spiritual squatters. And, and what Jesus has just described to us is a bit like that, only we have to remember that these squatters it, it, they're not really what this is about. This is much more about the home. And I want you to ask yourself what sort of a spiritual house you are. Because that's going to determine what sort of spirit will choose to live there. And here we see that this person who th- seemed to have their act together, but had never made a home for God in their life, Not only has that same spirit come back, but with them, that spirit brings seven others more evil than itself. Why? You might wonder, why seven? What's the deal with seven? The number seven is usually symbolic in Scripture, almost never literal. And in some cases, it it symbolizes perfection. Uh, But we can see here that this is not perfect. This is actually terrible. And in cases like this, it usually means the thing is total or complete. And so here we can assume that this signifies this completeness of demon possession once this demon returns. And this really puts an exclamation mark on what we've seen all throughout Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is showing the completeness of the evil of his audience. He's referred to them multiple times as an evil generation. We can see here they are totally evil. How can he say that? Because they're people who have in some sense cleaned up their act, but their life remains nothing more than an act. People who if they truly love God, they'd be preparing their souls for God to come and to dwell with them, and instead they continue to reject him, even after Jesus has proven his divinity over and over and over again through various signs. And Jesus tells them, he warns them, he says, you have no excuse. 
You can't plead ignorance. What did he say? He said, the last state of that person is worse than the first. He says, your rejection of me is worse than if you had never encountered me to begin with. And so what does Jesus teach us about evil spirits? If I could try and sum up all these things, it's that people are either a home for evil spirits or the spirit of God. The next question I want to ask is, why should we take this warning seriously? Why should we take this warning seriously? And the answer is because Jesus is serious. He's serious. You know, we're in a section of scripture, if you guys have been with us these past few weeks, Jesus has been pronouncing condemnation and judgment week after week. You might even feel a little bit exhausted from that. And our temptation is to pass over what he's saying here, it, it, it makes us so uncomfortable when he talks like this. Some of you may have been introduced to Jesus, and he didn't look anything like the Jesus that we've been looking at over these last few weeks. You're like, Jesus, I thought you were nice, man. Jesus, I thought you were love. Now, I, I want you to see that the Jesus, the true Jesus, is the Jesus of the Bible. You want to know what he's really like? Look at him in scripture, and he may not be nice, nice in the sense that we think of it, but he is kind. He is kind to warn us, and now it's up to us to respond. We can either reject him or we can receive him. You know, he's told us that we can come to him and we can find rest for our souls, but we can also oppose him and find death for our souls. He's told us that his burden is light. But we can also see that the weight of oppressive spirits is not. He's told us that his yoke is easy. But we can also recognize that his judgment is heavy. And you see, he wants us to recognize the juxtaposition between these two things so that we can come to him, so that we can choose him. And you might be wondering, okay, great, I want to choose him. I want to, but, but how would I know if I'm not like the person in this parable? How would I know if, if I'm the kind of spiritual house that I want to be? And the answer is, first off, if you even want to be, then you're the kind of spiritual home that the Spirit of God wants to reside in. But if you're committed as well to loving Jesus as your God, as your Savior, as your Lord, as your King, then you're the kind of person that this parable is not describing. You're the kind of person that God wants to take up residence in. Amen? And you might, what I want you to hear though, because I know all of us at times, and some of you right now, are facing spiritual darkness, despite that fact. We will encounter spiritual darkness. Just because the Spirit of God resides in us doesn't mean that the enemy leaves us alone. In fact, oftentimes, we can be harassed by him even more. We're still caught up in a war until we see Jesus face to face. But here's the thing, here's the good news, and this is where I want to leave you today. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to fear. 
We don't need to fear. I want to tell you why. Why should Christians not be afraid? The answer is because Jesus is the great healer. And if we're a Christian, we belong to him. Jesus in his ministry, Jesus proved over and over again his ultimate authority over spiritual powers. He healed those who were possessed or oppressed by demonic forces. And we see over and over that they must obey him. When he speaks to them, they follow his command every single time. Why? Because they have no power over him. Zero. They have no choice but to obey him. In fact, in Luke chapter 8, we're told that the 12 were with Jesus. Check this out. The 12 were with Jesus, the 12 disciples, they were with him. He was going on a journey, on a missionary journey to go share the gospel. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Same number that we were just told about in this parable. And what happened with her? Jesus healed her. Mary Magdalene, who was a disciple of Jesus, who was the first witness to his resurrection, she had previously been the home of seven demons, total infestation, totally surrounded by evil, and yet Jesus healed her. So what does this tell us? This tells us that no one is too far gone, friends. You are not too far gone. You cannot be. Because no evil can match the goodness and power of Jesus Christ. Amen? And the amazing thing is that the healing that Mary experienced, it's only a fraction of what we can experience today after Jesus' death and his resurrection. Because the Bible tells us that on the cross, Colossians 2.15, Jesus disarmed the evil rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. The picture that we're given here, imagine this. Imagine if Ukraine somehow was able to, to get into Russia. They were able to take all of their weapons and destroy them. What would, what would that mean? That would mean that that war was over. It, it, it had been decisively won. And that is the picture that we are being given here. Jesus disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. So not only does Jesus have total authority over evil spirits, on the cross, he destroyed their greatest weapons. And what are their greatest weapons? The Bible tells us guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. Our enemy uses guilt and shame to try to force his way into the door of our souls. Guilt is when you know you've done something wrong and you deserve punishment for it. And friends, Jesus died on the cross for our guilt. Amen? And when he did, he disarmed the evil spirits of the powerful ways that they use our guilt against us. See, they know that if we don't bring our guilt to Jesus, if we don't receive his forgiveness, we're going to go and we're going to try and deal with it on our own. 
We're going to deal with it in all kinds of ways that are harmful to us. We're going to go and try and punish ourselves, thinking, I deserve this. But if they can't get us to punish ourselves for what we've done wrong, then they'll at least try to twist the truth. You don't even have to believe that it's wrong anymore. Now all of a sudden we believe that it's right and now they've still won. Or maybe they want to make our conscience so calloused to our sin that we don't even feel that we need to do anything about it. This is one of the ways, some of the ways, that the enemy uses our guilt against us, but our enemy also uses our shame against us. Shame is a painful, emotional response to our guilt. Shame says, not only have I done wrong, it says that I am wrong. This is about our identity. Shame is is what we wear, and it teaches us that this is not just what I do, but this is who I am. And our enemy uses this against us to try and convince us that we need to keep on sinning. Because, no, this is just who you are. You just need to keep on going. Keep on doing what you're doing. And so not only do we need forgiveness for our guilt, but we need God's cleansing and transformation for our shame. And the reason why I'm telling you all of this now is because this is the power that Jesus has broken on the cross. This is what he did when he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. The only weapon our enemy has is to control us through guilt and shame. But if we belong to Jesus, our guilt has been punished. And that shame, it's been transformed. We've been utterly forgiven, and we are being utterly made new. Evil is no longer welcome here, friends. Christians, can you say that with me? Evil is no longer welcome here. Evil is no longer welcome here. We are no longer a home for evil spirits. We've been made into a new home for God's spirit. And you see, the good news is Jesus has ultimate power over all spirits, so he's able to heal us from any spiritual infestation, just like he did with Mary Magdalene, just like we saw in Luke 8. And his spirit doesn't have any roommates, friends. He doesn't have any roommates. When he moves in, he kicks out the spiritual squatters who are living there, and he begins his renovation project. This is a house that is truly clean. The eternal, loving, gracious God of the universe wants to make his home in you. How are you going to respond? That's the question. One thing I I didn't write down here, but I want to deal with briefly before we go even as we've been talking about this, even as I've been trying to share this good news with you, some of you today who are Christians, some of you who have the Holy Spirit of God within you are still feeling condemned. I want you to remember that truth. Jesus on the cross has taken your punishment. Your sin is forgiven. 
Jesus on the cross has taken your shame. You have been cleansed and you are being transformed. Do not forget that. Do not let the enemy condemn you. As you meet with your community groups this week, here are a couple instructions. Read through this text that we've gone through again. What stands out to you personally? Maybe there's something that really hits home for you. And lastly, reserve at least 30 minutes to pray for each other, our city, and anyone who you may know who is experiencing spiritual darkness. Let's pray and we'll respond to God together now. God, we thank you that you are kind enough to warn us through Jesus. That you're kind enough to alert us to the dangers of allowing our souls to become merely vacant or merely tidied up without allowing you to be the one who's living here. God, would you come? In each person here, would you come and dwell within them? Each person who watches this online, God, would you dwell within them? God, would you make your home with us and have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.